Welcome to Living Brightly, episode 43. This is the third episode in a 40-day journey to develop your relationship with God. Now, when you first meet someone, you know nothing about them. Now, let's say you start a new job, and over the course of a few weeks, you meet several new people. Now, you knew nothing about them before you started. Even the job interview, you got a name and a place to meet either in person or face-to-face, but you knew a little more than their title and of course their power to advance you or reject you. Now here you are four, five, maybe six weeks into your new job and you've met several new people you didn't even know existed. Every new relationship begins based on where you are with relationships. I might say how healthy you are with relationships. Generally, Most of us, and I'm sure you're included, have a level of trust we offer new people. However, there are some of us, and I sincerely hope this is not you, that have little or no trust to offer new people and reserve their trust until it can be proven or justified. Now, we all hold a trust bank with people in our lives. A cynic who has a history of distrust will hold all of their trust tightly. They're suspicious or skeptical of people where a naive person is almost too trusting and can be easily taken advantage of or misused. Again, most of us fall in between these two ends. But where does God fall in your trust account, your trust bank? That's what we're gonna look at today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are simple beings with a very complex mind, will, and emotions. We're only aware of what we see and feel and experience, and yet you are here. Connecting to you is what we want, but we need your help developing the tools and senses to communicate and to hear you and to know you. Help us to know you more authentically and personally. Lord, they wanna hear from you today, not me. So use my voice, share your heart with your children. Use this podcast to break through the barriers of assumptions and maybe mistruth. In Jesus' name, amen. So how well does God know you? A little? A lot? Does he know your past and your dreams for the future? Well, yes. God knew you when he helped form you in your mother's womb. Now, maybe you know your mother and that makes you smile. Maybe you know your mother and that makes you suspect. Maybe you don't even know who your birth mother is, and that opens all sorts of emotions. But God knows your mother and your father, and he knows you. He loves you and purposed you to be here. Starting when I was a teenager, maybe 15 or so, my mother would occasionally tell me she only wanted one child. Now, she didn't come right out and say that she wished I had never been born, but she did tell me on many occasions, kind of just like a matter of fact, that she only wanted one child. I don't know who all my mother told this to or how many times she told other people, but I heard it a lot. The first time I remember thinking, this is an odd thing to tell your child. Would any mother tell a child this? Especially your seventh child your youngest child. You know, I didn't get offended. I didn't get upset. I didn't feel strong emotions. I just thought it was odd. It was an odd thing to share. 
In essence, my mother wished me and five of my siblings had never been born. They were never hers, but we all are. My mother blames God and mostly the church for having so many children, but God blessed her anyway. Blessed her as an individual and blessed her through her seven children. And as she rejected God, I clung to my connection to him and built a relationship with him. And I believe it was because of my faith that she felt she needed to share this with me to either express how she felt about God or to maybe undercut my trust in God, maybe to get a gauge as to how I could trust a God that could, quote unquote, treat her in such a way. Now, you and I both know, and she knows, God didn't force her to have children. The church she belonged to did have very strict rules, and of course, she was having children at the time when birth control was just starting to come along, and she eagerly wanted to take advantage of birth control, but her church said no. And so that's what my father decided and my mother decided, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't around. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't party to the discussion. For whatever her reasoning was, my mother could not and cannot diminish my trust in God because I had already developed a healthy trust account with him. Unfortunately, I couldn't loan her any of my trust either. She had chosen to close her trust account and refuse to reopen it. She has to want to open it. God knows her. He loves her. He's waiting, calling my mother to open herself up to trust him again. Trust in the truth of him. Now, my mom is well known to God. And in reality, God knows her better than she knows herself. God knows you and God knows more about you than you do. See, God knows that my mother's wish to only have one child, and yet he also knows the damage of telling a child it's not wanted can do to that child. He knows about you, the good things have been said to you, and the bad things have been said to you. The selfish things you've done and the selfless things you've done. He knows all of it. And he loves you just as you are at the worst moment of your worst day. He loves you, and he knows you, and he wants relationship with you. What's standing in the way? Well, how well do you know God? Unlike starting a new job and meeting new people that you never knew existed, most people believe something about God. And yes, to have a relationship with someone, you have to understand their character and their nature, the God of the Bible is the God of Christians and the God of Jews. Because the Christians and Jewish faith have been found in virtually all regions of the world, most people have heard of God. They know some stories. They know something about him. And, fortunate or unfortunate, people have shared with them their personal relationship, their personal issues, their personal problems. Maybe you've talked to somebody like myself who has a deep faith and a strong trust in God, or maybe somebody like my mom who felt like her trust was broken and felt like she was violated. So she easily talks of how bad it can be to have a relationship with God. Have you heard the story of Adam and Eve? Well, most people have, but maybe not accurately. 
I could spend hours and hours talking about this topic. As a matter of fact, there's other podcasts that I've already done that talk about Adam and Eve. But today we're going to narrow the conversation down to God's character. And we'll consider the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the serpent, and of course, Adam and Eve. Yes, God put the tree in the middle of the garden and told Adam not to eat it from it. Then God took Adam's side and he formed Eve. The serpent deceived Eve and she ate and then Adam ate. And then God showed up and punished everyone. No, that's not how it went down, but that's how it's often told or that's how it's often believed. Satan, who is God's enemy, wanted to be God himself, wanted to be have the power and the authority of God. And I think he's a little jealous of us humans because us humans were made in God's image, and he wasn't. Satan challenged Eve. He challenged her with her knowledge, which was flawed, right? And she looked at the fruit and she, quote unquote, said, saw that it was good for food. So she saw that it was good. She had some knowledge of good. She believed it was evil to touch or eat it. And and that's where her failed knowledge came in because God never told him not to touch it. He just told him not to eat it. But Satan's temptation was not so much about the fruit as it was about to not trust God, to kind of undercut God's authority, God's place in Adam and Eve's life. Satan wanted Adam and Eve to flirt with the idea that God doesn't want the best for them, that God was holding something back. God was preventing them from having something that they should be able to have, right? It's good. Look at it. It looks good. Eve's naivete was trusting Satan and thinking like a child, implying that God is not good enough because he was restricting her. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want to let you do what you want to do. Sounds like a little kid, doesn't it? Parents who love their children intentionally restrict their choices and freedoms until they have reached a level of aptitude or trustworthiness or responsibleness, right? We don't give knives to two-year-olds. You don't let five-year-olds have the keys to the car. Now, if you're a farming family, you might teach a 10-year-old how to drive the truck on the family farm. You don't send them down to the grocery store because it's illegal for them to drive on the street. But you could teach a 10-year-old how to drive a truck. But sometimes there's one child you can trust and do things, and another child needs a little more time. So you don't trust them or you don't give them as many opportunities at the same age or in the same period of time. And similarly, children learn to trust or mistrust the world and others around it based on their parents and how their parents have treated them, how the family home was operated. One home may have clear boundaries and restrictions with lots of love and encouragement leading to responsible, trustworthy children. Another home may have few boundaries and no clear rules, but a volatile and unpredictable structure of crime and punishment. And of course, you could have a a home where there's so many rules and so much oppression that the kids are afraid to do anything. This leaves children who are irresponsible or untrusting. Now, there's millions of variations on these, and there are exceptional children who learn to trust and, and be trustworthy and be responsible despite their family home. And there are some that could be in a really good home and 
become nefarious and not so upstanding members of society. So yes, the family home can kind of set a foundation, but regardless of the family dynamics or lived experiences, we all must stand on our own two feet and decide what type of adult we want to be. And we have to individually confront the negative experiences we've had and the things we've had to endure. You must do it, so must I. Some experiences are thrust upon us, and some are consequences of our own choices, our own behavior. Sometimes people get bad things done to them, and some people just make really bad choices, and there's consequences. Now, some of those consequences come from trusting poorly, but even when we fail and when we mess up, we learn and we grow, or hopefully. Now, our parents love us as best they can. Even parents who are not what might look like good parents are doing the best they can do. You know, you have no idea what their childhood was like. And that's unfortunately how most parents learn to parent. It's from their own parents. (laughs) So it can lead to a cycle of generation after generation of not great parenting. But you can stop that by saying, you know what, I want to change some things. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be more trustworthy. I want to be more responsible. I want to raise my children in a different way than the way I was raised. Being intentional about it. Standing up on your own two feet and saying, okay, this is what I know. This is what I know didn't feel very good. And this is how I'm going to try and do things different. And you're going to try your best. But we humans, well... We fail. We don't do the best all the time. I want to take a break right here and remind you that this is a value for value podcast. I provide value. I hope you find value in what I share with you. I spend lots of time studying and researching and making these the best shows possible. I spend time editing and publishing and trying to put it out so that everyone has an opportunity to hear it. Now, I could try to sell ads and I could do some other things to help cover the expense and the time that I spend doing that. But whoever puts up the money has a big say in what I say. And I don't want to be behind a paywall and I don't want to be controlled by forces that are not the end user, you. I want you to have a stake in what gets produced here on Living Brightly. And for that, I want you to come alongside me and help produce a show. You can go to elainecross.com and make a donation to help feed this to keep it going. I'm not going to tell you how much. That's up between you and your pocketbook and God. You take what value you get from this podcast, turn it into a number, and send it in. And that will help keep sending this out so that anyone can freely listen to it. And you can keep the light burning here and spark the light in somebody else. So let's continue. We have a loving Heavenly Father, and I think there's a reason Jesus called him 
Heavenly Father. Because he wants us to view God as a father. And yes, that can stir up lots of images. Maybe you don't know your father, or maybe your father hasn't really been around much, or maybe your father was not the nicest guy. But if you have to imagine a perfect father, imagine Father God as the perfect father. So let's look at Adam and Eve again. Following Adam and Eve's sin, God's mercy as a father, his compassion as a father, compelled him to send them out from the garden to protect them from being stuck in their sinful state. God knew that if they couldn't control themselves and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil— that they wouldn't be able to control themselves and not eat now from the tree of life. If they ate from the tree of life, now that they had entered this sinful state, all humanity would have been stuck in a sinful state, and there would be no mechanism for God to make things right. So, to protect us, God sent us out of the Garden of Eden. Now, you may have heard that God punished them. And if you read it, if you read the story, God punished the serpent. God cursed the ground. He didn't curse Adam. And he brought Eve grief in trying to get pregnant, in trying to have children. But there wasn't punishment. He didn't beat them. He wasn't sending them on this long time out. He wasn't banishing them from himself. He was protecting them from the tree of life. God wanted to continue a relationship with them. And almost immediately after they had left, men began to compare and compete with one another instead of looking to God and God's standard. They started looking at each other. To this day, Satan continues to tempt us to trust ourselves And to look at each other and say, I'm not as bad as he is, right? And God's not good. God is withholding things, or God is causing these things, or God is making these things happen. And yet a lot of what happens in our life is either because there's sinful people in the world, 100%, we all agree, and we make stupid choices, and those choices often have negative consequences, Now, God is merciful and God is compassionate, but God's not going to micromanage us and God's not going to constantly protect us. We know what happens to children who are so protected by their parents, they can't hardly function in normal society. We need to learn to clean up our own messes, if you will. If I spill the milk, I need to clean up the milk and any other mess I can make. Unfortunately, it became a race to the bottom of sin and evil. Yet, the whole time, God has been saying, come to me, I want a relationship with you. Now, what you might not realize is that God was not keeping track. God did not keep a record. He did not have this, he doesn't have this big book of wrongs. He has a book of life. He doesn't have a big book of wrongs. He doesn't have a big book of crimes. People just didn't know what they didn't know. And they have no mechanism to learn to trust God. They really didn't know what God's standard was or how God wanted us to be because 
we were looking out for ourselves. We weren't looking to God. We weren't trying to learn from God. Now, there have always been people who wanted to serve God and loved God, but it got really, really bad. And finally, God decided it was time to start over. He did a do-over. So he chose a family to preserve and all the basics. Then he flooded everything else, right? You've heard of Noah and the flood. From Adam to Noah, God had a relationship with people. He wanted a deeper relationship with people. He wanted a relationship with more people. But so many of them were unaware of how evil they were. So after the flood, God introduced the law to teach people what they didn't know. The law was brought to bring structure to good and evil, right and wrong, our need to make amends and recompense, our need for a savior, because we just can't do it alone. We need help. And God is continuing to ask us, will you trust me? Because the most basic tenet of a savior is trust. This is the function of the law. These are the things that I hate. These are the things that I love. These are the behaviors you should avoid. And they might appear as strong restrictions, but 1,500 years after Christ, some 3,000 years after the law was given, and they were told not to eat pork, we learned about amoebas and bacteria and things that live inside of us. And now we know that pork can be very dangerous because the things that grow and live in pork can easily harm humans. They can make us very sick. So was that an act of love and compassion? Or was it just saying, you're not allowed to have bacon? Now, some people would say, he just doesn't want us to have bacon. <laughs> We don't know all the reasonings, and there's lots of spiritual elements to the dietary laws, but there's other laws, there's other things that we can learn, and we see in retrospect the love behind some of the laws that God gave us. Remember, the law was intended to teach people what we didn't know and to show us how evil we were and our need for a Savior. Hearing parts of the Old Testament might lead people to assume that God wants perfection, Follow these 613 laws, do what I say, avoid what I denounce, and God will accept you. I will only love you if you do all these things and don't do all these other things. That is not God's character. God is not performance-driven. He's relationally driven. He wants a relationship with you. Yes, the law is strict. And some people were struck dead for violating parts of it. And people thought, if you have to do everything perfect before God would love you, that's a terrible way to live. That's not the message of the Bible. You don't have to do everything perfect before God loves you. God is trying to reconcile us to himself. He wants to be in relationship with mankind. He does not want to judge mankind. He doesn't want to keep a tally of all the things we did wrong and the tally of all the things we did right. And he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to look at all the things we do wrong. He doesn't want to judge us. So to prove it, he himself came down to be judged. He even told the Jews, 
hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. The Jews are waiting for their Savior, but he came. But he told the Jews he was sending a Savior. They are waiting for a Savior that they can trust to be sanctified because the Savior will save them from the law, will satisfy the law, which is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus satisfied the requirements of the law. It is not God's character to keep track of your faults or to make a record or to charge you when you sin or fail. The law was created to reveal to us how our actions and our attitudes hurt and offend God. It's not about what we do or don't do. It's about how what we do and how we treat others that hurts and offends God. So where the flood was a do-over that God regretted, he let man reproduce on the earth and he sent the law with clear rules, those clear boundaries I talked about in a loving home. Only once we had the clear rules of the law did God introduce punishment. And it's just like a child. You learn the rules and you learn to trust me. You break the rules, there's consequence. You trust me, you listen to me, you don't break the rules, there's no punishment, there's no consequence. You don't run in the street so you don't get hit by a car. If you run in the street, you might get hit by a car. There's plenty of families that use that connection where if the child is actually going to get physically harmed, that will be the one time they might use corporal punishment. They're not going to use corporal punishment for spilling the milk. But if you put your hand or something on the stove and you could get burned, then they might smack your hand or something. That hurts. Ouch, that hurts. Don't do that. I don't want you to be hurt. Stay away from the stove, right? God wants our attitudes and our actions to reflect him, not offend him. And how do I know this? Because even during the era of the law, before Jesus, several times in the Old Testament, God said he desires worship and relationship more than sacrifice. And he even says, don't you know I want worship more than sacrifice? Relationship built on trust and dependence. Who do I look to? Where do I look toward? That's why there are several non-Israelites who are used by God and even honored by God in the Old Testament. Think of when Pharaoh appointed and trusted Joseph. All of Egypt was blessed, not just the Israelites. All of Egypt was blessed. When Daniel honored God and then his kings recognized him and his God, and the king said, we will all worship Daniel's God, the nation that Daniel was in was blessed. There's Ruth, who was a Moabite, that was not only honored, she has a book named after her, and she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She was a Moabite, somebody that the Israelites were not supposed to intermarry with, was not supposed to have any kind of connection with. And there's Rahab, the spy. There's so many more that worshipped and served God, and God accepted them regardless of their lineage. They were not Jews but God accepted them. Now, this twisted thinking of perfection persists in Christian theology, and I'm not sure why, and church pulpits today still preach it, that God only wants perfection, and he will not love you or bless you unless you clean up your act, and that you have to work hard on cleaning up your act. You have to straighten up your life. 
In essence, God is saying, I love you so much. I came down myself to satisfy my law and to reconcile the account. I have destroyed once and for all the barrier of sin and death between us. Come into relationship with me. I will help you transform your attitudes. I will help you renew your mind. All I need for you to do is trust me. I'm not tracking your performance. I'm pursuing your heart. That's God. God is pursuing your heart. You know, a lot of Christians try to work very, very hard to be better. They work hard to stop doing some things, and they work hard to start doing other things. And when you fall into that, you're falling into works. You're falling into actions. You're falling into perfection, trying to do these deeds for God to accept you. And what God is saying is when you stop trying to do it yourself, when you stop trying to fix you and you look to me, when you look to God, when you look to his word and you lean into God, he starts to change you from the inside out. Listening to the Holy Spirit takes practice because it's a still small voice. And if you're spending time praying, if you're spending time reading the word, which are the last two that we talked about, you're going to feel this nudge of the Holy Spirit say, eh, don't watch that show. Don't listen to that song. Ooh, was that a kind thing to say to your coworker? He's going to start talking to you. And when he talks to you about something specific in your life, he's going to empower you to choose differently. So learning to listen to that small voice, you have to trust him, but you also have to kind of respond. Don't try to do it all in your own strength. When you're weak, he's strong. When you lean on him, he picks you up. When you lay the burden down, Jesus carries it. He satisfied the law. God made the law as a way to show us how evil and sinful we can be, which is why reading the Old Testament is good, but we don't live under the law anymore. We don't live underneath that burden because not only did God make the law, God also paid the account for the law. It's paid in full. The choice is clear. You trust God or you trust yourself. And if you look at your own history, you know you're not trustworthy. Sometimes you're late. Sometimes you're short-tempered. Sometimes you're you fill in the blank. Now, intellectually, it's easy to accept that God loves you and he wants to bless you. And you could read the verses in the Bible and you can listen to a thousand sermons on the love of God. But there's a part deep within you that resists the truth. I've seen it in, I've not met a person that didn't fight with this internally, at least a little bit. Now, I hate to drone on this a lot, but the more loving and supportive your family home was, the easier it is for you to accept that God loves you. 
the harder life has been to you, the harder it is for you to fully accept. Now, you want to accept God because you want his help, but it's hard to let go of that little bit of protection that you put up around your heart because your heart is tender and the emotions we feel are strong. So there's a part deep within us that wants to resist it because we're not sure, we're not fully sure we can trust him. You know, there was a very common saying about, I don't know, 30 years ago or so, that the longest journey is just 15 inches long, and it's the distance from your head to your heart. And I'm not saying it's going to be a quick fix. I'm not saying you can just say, I'm going to trust God and it'll all be good. And you might. For me, it took some prayer. I had some people pray with me which is why prayer is really important. Being part of a church is really important. Being involved in a church that allows you to seek prayer and give prayer, or you're, you can actively participate and other people can participate, you get the point. It's just really important to learn how to trust God. Maybe I'll do a, a bonus segment here Hold on through the commercial break and I will walk you through a prayer to help you open up your heart and trust God a little bit. Right now, let me tell you about my ebook, Connecting to Your True Power Source. It has a lot of basic fundamentals to get you started developing your relationship with God and connecting to a church community, finding a good church, finding a good Bible. All those basics, it's all written down. You can download it as a PDF and just read it. You read it on your phone, whatever. It's very fundamental to the basic tools you need to continue to develop this relationship. It's a great place to start Bible study. There's lots of verses and things in there you can look up and you can cross-reference. And a lot of depth you can pull out of that booklet. And it's a great place to start. So go to elainecross.com Jesus. That's E-L-A-Y-N-E cross, as in Jesus died on the cross, dot com forward slash Jesus. It'll take you right to the page, connecting to your true power source. Got a picture of a light bulb plugging itself in and download that and use that as one of your sources to start a Bible study and it'll walk you through some of these basic steps. All right, I promised you a, a bonus section here. And we have been talking a lot about how much God loves you, how well, he, how well He knows you, how much He wants to be in relationship with you. And He understands how difficult it can be to learn to hear Him. God is not in the judgment or punishment business. And I can tell you that without any doubt, without any question, I hear people say this a lot, and I hear it a lot with respect to the course that the United States is taking in some issues. But all punishment, all judgment, and all means, well, all, 100%, for everything past, for everything that's happening today, and anything that happens in the future. All punishment, all judgment was put on Christ on the cross. That's it. 
It's done. Just before Jesus died, he said to Telestai, it is finished. All judgment is finished. All punishment is finished. He took it all. God's not in the judgment business. God's not keeping track. God knows, yes, but he sees you, I don't know, with rose-colored glasses. And they're not beer goggles. He doesn't wake up and realize one day, oh, this guy's really terrible. I can't be in a relationship with them. No, he sees you through the blood of Christ. And if he were to judge you, he would judge you and make what Christ went through worth nothing. He's not going to do that. He refuses to do that. It discounts everything that he has already done. So what you need to do is try to get your thinking straight. And I know it's really, really hard. We are body, soul, and spirit. And our body is easy to recognize. We can touch it. We can see our hands. We can see our feet. We put clothes on it every day. We feed it every day. We experience our body easily. Our soul is our mind, our will, emotions, our attitudes, our our thoughts, which our actions start in thought. Our actions and our behaviors start with a thought, start with an idea. That's our soul. And then there's our spirit. And the moment you got saved, your spirit was made new. Your spirit was put in full reconciliation with Christ. You are fully, completely a new spirit. But you're still living in time and space. And you've got your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body that you can feel and touch and feed and dress, right? And those are things we can comprehend. Spiritual is spiritual. It's not really of this world. God made the heavens and the earth, the spiritual and the physical. We live primarily in the physical. And God wants us to tap into the spiritual side. So our spirit and the Holy Spirit are in communion with each other. They speak to each other, which is why God knows you better than you know you. And this learning to have a relationship with God is developing this tuning to tune into the Holy Spirit, tune into the Spirit of God. If you drive your car to a different city and your preset numbers on the dial don't work, what do you do? You hit seek or you turn the dial till you tune into a station. And sometimes seek will stop where the signal is there, but it's not really strong. But if you tap it, it'll get, it'll go to like one number higher and it'll tune in really good. And you can really do this if you have a dial. I know a lot of you probably don't have dials. Heck, some of you probably don't even listen to the radio. You just turn on your favorite radio station on your phone, and and you go. (laughs) Try it. If you have a radio in your car, it has some kind of tuning mechanism, and that's because you can be just outside the frequency. 
And before you know Christ, you're so far out of frequency, you don't even know your spirit part is there because you can't feel it, taste it, touch it. It's, it's, out, of, it's out of touch for you. And when you get saved, you, you hear that kind of staticky off channel. You can get bits and pieces maybe. And developing your relationship with God is tuning, fine-tuning that dial so you can hear God clearly. And I just want to lead you in a prayer to help you hear God clearly for just one thing. But I know once you hear Him once, then you know what to listen for and you can hear Him better more. And I'm going to expand on that whole idea of tuning the radio uh, next time we talk. But right now, I just want to lead you in prayer. So if you're driving pause this and if you get to work early you can turn it on and maybe go through it or you can before you pull out of the parking lot review a little bit of this get your mind and your heart set and then put this on and allow me to guide you through this prayer it's not that i'm gonna pray i'm gonna kind of intercede for you i'm going to try to help you tune your spiritual dial so that you can hear the spirit of god for you I also recommend you have a pad of paper and a pencil or maybe a recording device. Problem is if you're listening to me on your phone, I just want you to hear him record what God tells you. If you don't even remember the words, you will remember knowing. And sometimes you'll hear me say, I know that I know that I know. It's a knowing that is not physical. It's not explainable. It is a spiritual knowing that God has spoken to me about something, and God wants to speak to you that way. So we're just going to take a minute here. I'm going to be quiet for a second, and then I'm just going to lead you in a couple questions. You're going to hear pauses because I want to give you enough time to respond or to think. And you can even pause the podcast and then open up your recorder and, and answer the question and let yourself so your, your ears can hear you later listen to the answer. Don't overthink the answer because when you're tuning, especially the first time, you're going to hear it and then your mind is going to kick in and start to think it and try to process it and try to make it something that you believe to be true or something that makes sense to your mind where it is right now. God's going to speak to you directly, and He's not going to wait. He's not going to waver. He's not going to, you know, oh, give me five minutes and I'll respond. We're going to ask these questions, and God is going to answer So don't overthink the answer. Don't discount the answer. And the reason I want you to record it and write it down is because like that different type of ground, you will get a truth. And if you don't meditate on it, Satan will come to steal it away from you. And then you'll doubt it. And then you won't believe it's true. And then you'll have more questions. And it's it's like you've shut off another part of hearing. Not that you can't hear God again, but it makes it harder. Okay, it's like if you fail at something, you have to take a lot of courage to get back on that that horse again. So I want you to preserve this so that when the doubts come and Satan will try to send doubts into your mind, your mind will send doubts into your mind because your mind is functioning on a physical level. I want you to tap into the spiritual side. I'm just we're just going to ask like two questions, but I just want to set it up so that you can have success in tuning into God for you. Okay? I want you to listen 
after I pray a little bit, I'm going to ask a question. And since I don't know your name, I'm going to just say me because I want these to be your prayer. And you can repeat after me as I say it. So I'll say a little bit and you say it. And I'm just going to say me. If you, you know, if you want to put some other name in there for yourself, you can. But I want you to, to just repeat what I say and ask God these questions. Now, God loves you. He's not here to condemn you. He is going to say something positive. He's going to say something affirming. And he's going to say it to your spirit. And it's going to connect with your spirit. The words will probably be simple. It's not going to be some flowery, expansive speech. It's going to be something right to your heart. It's going to be simple. And it's going to be positive. If you hear something negative, then your mind got in the way. Your soul got in the way. And that's okay. Try again. Give it a little while. Do whatever it is that connects you with God. Go for a walk. Listen to some worship music. Listen to this podcast again. Do something and, and just tell him, hey, I want to hear from you. And, and try it again, okay? This isn't going anywhere. This podcast is going to be here, and you can, you can do it as many times as you want, okay? God loves you. We're going to talk to Father God as the perfect Father who loves you and wants to give you good gifts, who sees you as his own, his child. Who knows what he's going to say? But I know it's going to be good, and I know it's going to be exactly what you need to hear, okay? Like I said, it's probably going to be short, but it's going to be positive. After I pray a little bit, and then you'll repeat after me as I say it. All right, let's do this. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for taking all the punishment, all the condemnation, all the judgment, and putting it on Christ because we are just not capable of being perfect. We are not able to live up to your standard. But through Christ, you strengthen us, and through Christ, you want to speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak now, that you would Give the listeners ears to hear and eyes to see, that they will know that they know that they know that they can hear you and that they can learn to trust you and that they can be in full relationship with you, not needing someone else to do it for them, that they can hear your love for them. They can hear your voice to them themselves. Help this one tune the stereo of his spiritual heart, his spiritual radio, to hear your voice. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and paying the price for our sin and sending the Holy Spirit to help translate and help communicate with God, with us, to make that clear. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for all the gifts that you've given me. Most importantly, sending Jesus, your son, to take the punishment for my sin. For making my account clear. And for desiring a relationship with me.
I want a relationship with you. I want to hear you. I want to hear what you have to say to me. You said that you would speak to me. Lord, open the ears of my heart. Give me ears to hear. Let me hear you today. I want to hear your heart for me. I want to know you more. I want to know that you're with me. I want to know that you're rooting for me. Father God, tell me, how do you see me? Father, tell me, who do you call me? Father, tell me, who am I to you? Father God, what do you have to say to me today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me. Lord, I want more of you. And I want to give you more of me. Help me, Lord. Help me be more like Christ. Help me to hear you clearly. Help me to serve you fully. Help me to be a bright light in this dark world. In my brother Jesus' name, amen. And amen.